0: Good morning. My name's Peggy. I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks Peggy. Good morning Redemption Church. It is good to be here. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the leaders here. Typically I'm up here leading the music, but today it's a a privilege and a pleasure to get to preach, especially uh, with the text that I was given the the Lord's Prayer. And so where we have been at, I just want to say if you're new, we've been walking through the the Sermon on the Mount and I'm just in 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 a worshipful posture right now. The Oh, the joy of full salvation, sin and death defeated. Glory to his name. That is good news. Amen. And I would argue where we're at right now in the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever given. And Jesus is is preaching here. And so far he's shown his people what the blessed life looks like. He he has shown them how to engage in the world and, and how he fulfills the law. He he gets at ultimately the the heart of sin as well as the heart of our good deeds. And he calls people to love their enemies as well as be perfect as our Father is perfect. And and all along the way, Jesus has, we've been learning about the character and the mission of our Lord and Savior as he's been preaching. And Jesus is showing us in this sermon that he is the authoritative king. And that, that, that he is showing that what life in his kingdom looks like for his kingdom, for his people. And today we're looking at maybe the most famous portion of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe the most famous portion in all of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. And, and the way that theologians have looked at this is Jesus is building up to this Lord's Prayer, and then everything after it will be informed by it. And even as we've been walking through this, this sermon so far, it might be like, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to love my enemies? How am I supposed to to be perfect as my Father perfect? How am I supposed to get at the heart of these things? I think Jesus is telling us it's all through intimacy with the Father and praying with the Father. And we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, and many of us know it. Many of us, as we saw it on the screen and heard it, there was something that said, oh, finally, we are back at this, this, this place that God has ministered to me in this prayer over my life. That's some of us in the room. The Lord's Prayer has been this this warm balm of the soul, if you will. But for some of us, the Lord's Prayer has been reduced to a good luck charm before sporting events. And it, it represents hollow, memorized lines. And I believe Jesus intends for this prayer to change our lives. I really do believe that Jesus intends for this prayer to change our lives. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we want to get one into your hands. There's going to be people coming forward. Would you raise your hand if you don't have a a Bible this morning? Uh, We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. And if you need one in Spanish, just indicate so. And again, we want you to be able to read the Word and follow along in in a way that that makes sense for you and just ministers to you. And so uh, if you do own a Bible and, and you just forgot to bring it this morning or you prefer to read it out of these. Uh, pew bibles just leave it at the connect desk on your way out so god thank you for this morning lord thank you for the good news of the gospel thank you jesus that you came and you died you brought your kingdom you defeated death through your resurrection you conquered sin god i thank you for all that you have done lord i thank you that you taught us how to pray Lord, you could have you could not have but you did god thank you for your plan and your mission that involves saving us rebellious people. God, thank you. Help us to respond to you. Holy Spirit, as you as you inspired Matthew to write this text, illuminate our hearts to understand it. Lord, help me to decrease. Jesus, I pray that you would increase. And I pray that we all would have a greater vision of you and your kingdom and your word. And we'd be more fueled to engage in all of life, being all for you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So before we get into the text, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I think we got to define a couple things before we just get right into it. And I want to start with what is prayer? What is prayer? See, prayer is communication with God. Prayer is how we respond, how we connect, and how we relate with God in light of our knowledge of God. And I want us to, church, we, we can hear that. Prayer is communication with God. Let us never take for granted Let us never take for granted the incredible reality that we can know God. We can know who God is. He desires to be in relationship with his people. The cross and the gospel clearly show us that, that God at great cost to himself does all that he can to bring us near, to bring us into relationship with himself. The incredible fact is we can communicate with the God of the universe. And I think we can sit in these seats and we, it's like, well, of course. There's nothing of course about it. It is astounding. It is incredible that we can communicate with God. See, we hear from God and we learn from God from his word. You can say that's our input, if you will. We learn from his word, his perfect, true word. And then we communicate and we respond in prayer. And, and, and the scriptures are, are littered with what this response looked like. The sermon series we did before this was in the Psalms. I'd encourage you to maybe go back and if there's this partic- particular psalm that maybe stands out to you, go, go and listen to those and see, see what we had to say. But there, the scriptures are littered with all these different ways uh, prayer takes the form of that we respond to God. Prayers of, of praise and requests and of pleas, of, of thanksgiving and confession, of questioning and adoration all reaching out to God, all communicating with God in prayer. In prayer, ultimately, it it treats God as God because we are rightly running to Him for our need, our security, our longings, our comfort, our identity, our hope. When we run to God for these things, we're rightly treating Him as God. And Here's the thing about about prayer. Um, I grew up in the in the church. Uh, my wife and actually moved out here about three years ago to to start the church. I, I feel like I've been uh, uh, around church for a a while now. I'm not that old, which is not shocking. I guess if you if you look at me, like who's the 17 year old preaching this morning? Uh, but <laughs> here, here's the thing about prayer. I've I've never met. I'm not, I'm not 17. Uh, I have never met a a Christian. He's like I love Jesus. I love his word. I want to respond to him and and like didn't see any connection between prayer and his walk with Jesus. I've never seen that guy. I've never heard anybody be like, prayer, you want to talk about a waste of time. Like, I've never met that guy. He's like, I love Jesus, but prayer, never heard of it. Like, I've, I've never met that guy. I've also never met a guy who's like, I love Jesus. And uh, you're lucky I'm in the room because you happen to come across the prayer master. <laughs> so you're welcome. I'm here. Uh, I, I've never met that guy. I've never met a guy uh, And now I'm going to meet him, probably, as I said that. But I've never met somebody say, I don't understand any point of prayer. I don't see any point of it at all. I never met anybody that said, my prayer life literally could not be any better. (laughs) Like, I've never met these people. I think we're all in the same boat to varying degrees this, this morning. And I think it's this. We want to pray or... If we're honest, we want to want to pray, right? Uh, so I get an amen for somebody uh, this morning that we want to want to pray. It's okay. This is a same. We just confessed our sin a little bit ago. We're going to get into that again in a minute. But we want to want to pray. And everyone, we 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 don't pray at all. Much less pray rightly. And Christians, Dave said it well last week. Christians get weird when it comes to prayer. It doesn't help the way a phrase is like prayer warriors. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know about prayer warriors, but I've seen uh, plenty of prayer gossipers, uh, and, uh, which is just weird. Like, why do we do this? Like, I've seen plenty of prayer whispers. And it's always like people that got a really loud voice that then when they pray, they're like, you just and I'm like I can't hear what you're saying God we like God thank you that you are omnipotent and you're all powerful and you can hear this whisper because I can't pray with you and then you got the opposite you got people I'll be at like cartel with, with somebody and I'm like could you pray for us And he's like yeah sure I'll pray for us God would you and I'm like holy cow like i we, go. we got a pair of shouters and and I'm like everybody in cart bow your heads we're all in this area. Join hands together I'm like man And this is just my fear of man. Let me just tell you that right now. This is my fear of man here, and I need to repent of that. But come on, like, and God does not give a decibel level in His Word. This is just my personal preference saying that Christians get weird when it comes to prayer. Uh, So next time you're with me, just would you love me well and be aware of where where you're at? I want to participate, but I also don't need everybody in the room to participate. So that's what I'm going to say. Uh, Let me confess something to you this this morning. Other than I have a fear of man, clearly. uh, But let me confess something to you. I'm not a prayer expert. It is ironic that I'm preaching this sermon this morning. As I was preparing, I was like, what do I need to hear? Right? So I might just be saying amen as I'm going along because I'm like, my soul needs this, Jesus, this morning. Um, This is not a sermon of pray like I pray, which is good news, trust me. It is let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. So let's learn from Jesus. If you got your Bibles, Matthew 6 starting in verse 7 and 8. We're going to get into the prayer, but Jesus starts with how not to pray and and pick up with me in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. We know that guy, right? We take a prayer request, and you say that, uh, somebody pray for us. He's like, "I'll pray." And you're like, "Oh no." Like, we're going to get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. Like and I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with like, man, you're pouring a heart out before the Lord. But it's like, don't, don't heap up empty words. Don't heap up empty phrases. And they think they're going to be heard as if God's just going to get worn out in heaven by your many, many words. Don't heap up empty phrases. I'm going to ask us to be honest this morning. We can treat the Lord's Prayer as an empty phrase. I think the, the, the context that I learned the Lord's Prayer was not through my church. It was through sporting events. It's through like watching Notre Dame football on Saturday morning. This is how I learned the Lord's Prayer. And what's funny is you see in these like sports movies and you can picture maybe you were there. I remember in youth football, this is the case, the, uh, the coach is sitting there and he is just saying, he is saying a lot of words that aren't the Lord's Prayer. Let me put it that way. And it's just bleep, 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 Take a knee, Lord's Prayer. And it's like as if God's sitting there like, whoa, 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 Lord's Prayer. Uh, we, we, we treat it as this, this weird, like, good luck charm. And then it gets weird when both what if both teams are praying the Lord's Prayer. Is it whichever will meant it more? It gets the, like, spiritual blessing? Because, uh, you know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which, let me tell you, is not talking about sporting events. Uh, Paul did not mean that when he said that. But here's the thing. I think empty words and empty phrases looks like, at, at the core, rehearsed and rehashed words that come out of our mouths and don't affect our hearts. See, I think empty phrases are ones that don't affect our, our lives or our affections. I think they're, they're hurried prayers over food. Let me just ask you, how, do we pray more for food than for people? I do. <laughs> empty phrases can look like this, this frantic shooting up of prayers. Like, I hope this works. You know, like I I ignore God except for maybe for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And then when I'm in crisis, I'm shooting up emergency flare prayers. I think we've been there before. Here's the thing. I think empty fra- phrases, I'm just going to throw myself under the bus, which I know you guys are okay with, um, is, for instance, the other night, like this week, I'm praying um, in, in, in bed with Kelsey, who's my wife, and <laughs> what kind of church is this? Uh, we, uh, we're praying before bed, and that's, that's part of the rhythm that we do, and the prayer lights are out, eyes are closed, which you can already tell recipe for disaster uh, in praying as far as focus, and so the prayer starts out strong, starts out strong, and then it starts slowing down, my prayers. Then there becomes these sort of like awkward silences between words, and and the words start to get quieter and a little bit slurred there. And Kelsey lovingly will nudge me and be like, what are you saying? And I'll be like, Holy Spirit taking over, baby. Uh, But here's the thing, if we're honest. I think we treat God like a waiter in prayer as the menu in our relationship with God. We treat God as a waiter and our prayers as a menu, as if he existed to serve us. We got that backwards. We exist to serve God and it's there that our joy will be found. Verse eight, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you pray in such a way that says something untrue about the character of God? Christian, look at me. God loves you. He knows you. He cares about you. And he says he will provide for you. Do your prayers reflect that confident assurance? Not that everything's going to be perfect and clean and neat and comfortable. But does your prayers reflect that confident assurance in that reality? Or are your prayers simply, as Tim Keller puts it, worrying in God's direction? Do your prayers reflect a confident assurance in your father or worrying in God's direction? The way we communicate with God says something about what we believe to be the character of God. I'm going to repeat that. The way we communicate with God says something about what we believe to be the character of God. So Jesus starts with how not to pray, but that doesn't mean we know how to pray. And praise God that Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, you want to learn how to pray? You want to know how to pray? Literally, verse 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Let's take this line by line. In a couple of words, Jesus tells us the identity of God and of his people. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, but he's also teaching us who we're praying to. See, notice what he says. He says, our Father, if you have faith in Christ then you are in Christ and God is your father. Notice Jesus doesn't say my father as if he says, oh, you know, you really should stick with me because you should pray to my father because you're abandoned orphans and I'm the beloved son and you need to stay close because if you get out from, 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 from where I'm at, God's going to can't even tolerate being around. Like as if, as if we treat God we're like we're not sons and daughters. Don't pray like orphans. You're not. You're children of God. Because we're in Christ. See, Jesus teaches us to pray and he says that God is our Father. I mean, again, I think we, if we've been at church for any amount of time, I think we can take this for granted. Like of all the words Jesus could have used, he could have used any word he wanted to and say pray like this. He could have said our God, our judge, our Lord. But no, he says our Father. Father is the title that Jesus calls us to address God in our prayers. This is profound. We have an adoption identity. We talked about this last week. God takes us out of the courtroom into the living room. See, because if we are in Christ, God loves and delights in us. If you're in Christ, God loves you. He delights in you. Some of us, we need to hear that this morning. See, you need to hear this though as well. Not because we are lovely, but because Christ is lovely and we are in Christ. We catching that difference? See, therefore adopted by God, God is now near. He is intimate. He is warm. And he is authoritative as Father. I'm going to say it again. You're not an orphan. Don't pray like one. You're a child of God. Pray like one. Confident assurance. Confident assurance. Jesus is saying that we are the family of God under our Father's headship. But he doesn't stop there. He is our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Jesus says that God is our Father in heaven and hallowed be your name. This is key because our Heavenly Father, who is our Father? Our Father is God, the authoritative ruler of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord of all. He is true. He is all-powerful. Our Father is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. This is our God. This is our dad. This is our father. See, hallowed be his name. Jesus is teaching us that God would be treated with the highest honor, that his name would be revered as utterly sacred and holy and distinct and powerful and mighty and true. Because he is. See, some of us this morning, we err on kind of two sides of the coin here, or two sides of the ditch. One would be, some of us, we really minimize the hallowed be your name. And we need to remember that our Father is the authoritative king of the universe. We need to remember that. You need to pray that. You need to let those truths saturate your life. But some of us on the, on the other side here, we get hallowed be your name but it's our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. We don't understand God as our Father. We don't understand God as our Father. And Man, Dave used this analogy last week that that really ministered to me. And I know as an RC, we we talked a lot about it. And I I have a feeling most of us were shaped by this idea of many of us approach God as if we had our adoption papers around our necks, the formal legal documents. And it's from there that we draw our identity and our security from our adoption papers around our necks. And I want to say, praise God praise God for the binding and secure and real justification that our judge brings. Praise God that in the courtroom the judge says forgiven and it's real and it's binding and it's transactionary and it's legal and it's forever. Praise God for that. I want to say I'm somebody who loves footnotes and theology. I tell you, the leaders here do. We care about sins. We read books by dead guys. Um, But here's the thing. Like, I love justification. I love expiation. God taking our sin and casting it as far as the East is from the West. I love propitiation. God removing the wrath that was upon me and putting it on Jesus. I love penal substitutionary atonement. What happens in the courtroom. God forgiving us. Jesus giving us all of his righteousness and him taking all of our sin. I love this stuff. But when that is the exclusive language that you have and how you relate with God, no wonder it's hard for you to pray. No wonder it's hard for me to pray. I treat God as a series of of theologies and a series of concepts and not a person. I need to hear this this morning. Many of us here this morning, we have a legal transaction and not a relationship with the Father. Our language is transactional and not relational. Praise God for the courtroom. Praise God for footnotes. But it's, got to, it's not less than that, it's more. It's got to move out of the courtroom and into the living room. It just got to. See, Jesus, he not only teaches us to pray, which would be enough, like praise God, teach us how to pray. He also teaches us who we are. He's telling us who we are. This prayer is full of identity statements Who is God? He is our Father. Who are we? His children. And in this beginning, he starts with this. And I think it's intentional. I know it's intentional. That when we start with who we are and who God is, that starts to align our hearts. See, because if we don't, if we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is, we're just going to put ourselves on the throne and we're going to say our kingdom come and our will be done. But Jesus leads us through this prayer. And it rightly puts God in his place and puts us in ours. It gets our butts off the throne and gets us kneeling before the throne. See, but as children of the Heavenly Father, we can now say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is the King, our Father is the King. We respond to the initiating and adopting love of of God and he changes our hearts so that we can now pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You can't do that if you don't trust him. See, we trust him, we love him, we desire what he desires, we delight in his will. That's what happens when we start to view God as our father and us as his children. It changes the way you pray. When you're out of the courtroom and into the living room, it changes the way you relate with God. See, Jesus is praying and he's teaching us to pray for, for God's kingdom to advance and go forth in this world. This is something we talk a lot about at Redemption. Something we talk a lot about is the kingdom. And if you're new or maybe if you've missed it, we, we, we can't just roll past this and assume things. So what is the kingdom? And, a definition I heard that I think can be helpful, because it can sound a lot of times this abstract, like what does this mean? What, is, what, is, what are we talking about? The kingdom is God's rule and God's reign in God's world. The kingdom is God's rule and reign in his space, in his world, and he's Lord over all. Our Father's kingdom, what is this kingdom? What is it marked by? This kingdom, which Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John are unfolding, if you read the whole book, because the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer is not a tweet. It's in the context of the Gospel of Matthew. We realize what this kingdom is about. And this kingdom is all about, it's marked by life, Peace, justice. It's marked by hospitality and compassion. It's marked by mercy and healing and joy. It's marked by light and flourishing. And it's marked by love. In short, the kingdom is the way things are supposed to be. See, and when you pray your kingdom come, when we pray this, what we are saying and what we ask is, Heavenly Father, bring your justice, bring your peace, bring your salvation, bring your love. And make things the way they ought to be. This is not abstract. This is incredibly practical and yet profound. On earth as it is in heaven. Bring your kingdom. It isn't just in an abstract. Again, your kingdom comes somewhere. It's on earth as it is in heaven. Make things the way they're supposed to be in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on our streets, in our city, in our country, and in our world. Here, make things the way they ought to be. Do we long for this, church? To long for the way things are meant to be? Because we look around and it's not like this. Your will be done. See, your will be done, this is a bending of the knee to the will, ways, and plans of God. Let me just tell you something. God knows more than we do. I'll say it's God knows more than you do. Some of us need to hear that this morning. God is smarter than us, He knows more than us, and yet He loves us more than we could ever imagine. If you believe that God loves you, if you believe that He is wiser than you, and if you believe that He desires what is truly best for you, that will change the way you pray. It will. We'll stop praying a laundry list of our will be done. God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? And we would start praying the language of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come and your your will be done. Not mine. Yours because we trust him. We trust his will. You can't pray this prayer if you don't trust the character of God to be good and trustworthy. You can't. Some of us need to hear this. I'm not saying don't pour your heart out before the Lord. That would go against a litany of prayers in the Bible, of pouring a heart out before the Lord and seeking out healing and provision and comfort and change from Him. I think we have to do that. I think we, we see in Jesus in the garden before He's going to be crucified, He says, Lord, if there's any way we can do this salvation of humanity apart from me dying on the cross, would you take this cup from me? But the refrain still is, Your will be done. And the thing is, unlike Jesus, our requests are many of the times not rooted in the gospel and trust and love of God. They're just not. They're just not. James chapter 4 says this. Just just let this kind of resonate in here. You have not because you ask not, James says. Some of us, we're not even asking. We're not even asking God for anything. You have not because you ask not. But he also says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. John Calvin famously says to the effect, kind of expounding on this idea, God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we would have known everything God knows. God will either give us what we ask for, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knew. And I don't say that to be like a, well, there you go, feel better, hang your hat on that. But that should be because what I'm saying is you're, if every, you knew everything God knew, who is wiser and smarter and who loves us more than we could ever imagine and who uh, wants what's best for us. If we had his mind, he would give us this. So don't hear that as a dismissal, but hear that as a call to trust in the character of God. See, Jesus is teaching us To pray prayers that trust in the will, the plan, and the purposes of God. This prayer, again, is exposing who we believe God to be. What your prayer life looks like exposes who you believe God to be. That's one of the things I want you to take away from this. And some of us, if we transcribed out all of our prayers, we'd be saying something very untrue about who our God is. And... This, this is an aside a little bit, but, and it's going to be a hard word, but I, I think we need to hear it. Because we've even said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I just want you to hear me. If, if you do not love Jesus, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, then God is not your father. For the Christian who has put his or her faith in Christ believes I'm only made right by Christ's work alone. I love Jesus and I want to honor him with my life. For the Christian, God is our righteous judge and our heavenly father. For the non-Christian, God is judge alone. And the reality is all of us will stand before him one day And these services, this church, this community, the songs we sing, they should all be preparing us for that day. And the good news for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are people of this kingdom, people who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, the good news is that for those of us, we will stand before our Father, who loves us and who has adopted us, and he welcomes us into his beautiful and perfect and restored kingdom forever. I want that for every single one of us. But I don't presume that that is everybody in this room right now. Jesus continues in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We we pray for things we ought not to. But there are legitimate needs that Jesus is calling us to seek out God's provision in our prayers in. Jesus is calling us to look to God to meet our needs. For he is the only source of true provision. And notice the language of this this daily bread. Give us this day. This is not a one-time blanket statement. This is us on a daily basis reaching out to God for our provision. See... This is saying, God, give us today what we need for today, for tomorrow is never guaranteed. This is also a prayer recognizing the sovereignty and the control and the providence of our Father. So the question may be, how does God give us our daily bread? And what this means is the necessities to live, if you will the necessities to live. And Martin Luther, who's a a Christian who lived 500 years ago and is one of the church kind of fathers and reformers, if you will, he has some profound insight into this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. He says that God does not typically shower bread from heaven, if you will, but he gives the baker as the means by which the daily bread is provided. And Martin Luther called these bakers the masks of God. He said, as God is orchestrating and providing and working his providence behind the scenes, he is presenting the baker as the instrument of his provision. As he's working behind, the face of God is masked by the baker. See, God answers the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, not in manna falling from heaven, but a milkmaid at the door or a fries at a half a mile walk away. Do you see in how much God is providing for you right now through His masks, if you will? How God is answering daily this prayer of giving us indeed our daily bread. Notice Jesus though doesn't say, "Give me my daily bread," or "Give." He doesn't say pray like this. Pray that your daily bread will be provided for. He says, "Our daily bread." We can't segregate this line from what Jesus will eventually say at the end of this sermon, the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor. We cannot segregate these things. This this line of give us this day our daily bread has has great implications when we talk about the great commandment. Uh, Tim Keller expounds, there's going to be a quote here in a second, on Martin Luther's insight on these like social dimensions of this line of this prayer. He says this, Luther sees a social dimension to this prayer as well. For all to get daily bread, there must be a thriving economy, good employment, and a just society. Therefore, to pray, give us, all the people of our land, daily bread, is to pray against wanton exploitation in business trade and labor which crushes the poor and deprives them of their daily bread. For Luther, then, to pray for our daily bread is... Uh, is, is, is to pray for a prosperous and just social order. To pray for a prosperous and just social order. A prosperous and just social order. I hear echoes of the kingdom, the way things are supposed to be. And so my question, church, is what would happen in our homes if we prayed in light of this, if we had such an acute understanding of the social dimensions of the gospel? How would our homes change? What would happen in our workplaces if we prayed like this and embodied this? What would happen in our city if we as a community lived like this and believed this? What would happen in our country if the church at large believed this? I believe the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We would get a taste of it. We would get a taste of it. We'd truly be salt and light. We'd truly be good news. We would truly love our neighbor as ourself. And I'm not saying we do what Jesus alone can do, which is fully eradicate evil and bring utter shalom, the way things are supposed to be. But I am saying our world would look different. See, I'm going to keep driving this point home. How we pray shows who we believe God is, as well as who we believe we are. But how we pray shapes how we live. How we pray shapes how we live. I think if we prayed, give us this day our daily bread, in light of everything I just said, our lives would look a little different. Jesus exposing these realities of prayer changes the way that we live, even in a line like, give us this day our daily bread. But he continues, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Jesus is telling his people that when we pray, we need to confess our sin before our heavenly father. Confession is a crucial component of prayer. The scriptures tell us that confession brings healing and assurance. It brings comfort and peace. And by confessing our sin, we are reminded again who we are. Children of God, but we are rebellious children. We're tracking with that? Like, we're children of God, but we are rebellious children. Parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about, what it's like to raise a rebellious child that does not just do everything that, uh, that we would want them to do. Or maybe not. Maybe you've got perfect children. They, you, they, they never disobey you. Um, but what we are not, uh, that was a joke. Uh, you, can, you can laugh at that. Uh, is, does he really think that? Like, that, that's possible? Um, no, we are rebellious children to our God. And th- this informs our service. This informs our service. We we confess, we just like 20 minutes ago confessed our sin before our God. We confess our sin every week because we need his grace and mercy found in his gospel alone anew every week. See, we, we confess our sin regularly in our prayers because we sin regularly in our lives. And we need his grace and mercy anew. And Maybe you've been confused as we've done confession. I want you to, there's something I really want to drive home uh, here. I want us to catch this. Confession is about restoring your communion with God and not your union with God. Let me explain this. See, if you have faith in Christ, your union with Christ is secure. That legal transaction, adopted, forgiven. Jesus said it is finished. The scriptures say there is security. It is done forever. We cannot undo this salvation. This union with Christ, eternal life by definition, can never be lost. Our union with Christ never falters. If we are in Christ, he will hold on to us, and he will lose none of which the Father has appointed him to entrust and to protect and to guard. But, our relational communion and fellowship, our experiential reality and closeness with God can fluctuate and change what we experience. See, sin hinders us from experiencing fellowship and full flourishing and intimacy with God our Father. And things like prayer and confession and repentance and the abandonment of idols and and clinging to Christ and studying the Word and being spurred on by other Christians, all of this helps to keep our communion and fellowship and intimacy with God rich. Do we, I I can't move on without. this. Are we tracking the difference between union with Christ, that legal, it is finished, and communion, experiential fellowship with God? Are we tracking the difference there? Can I get an amen if we are? Okay. Here's the thing, we fight sin not because we feel bad or because we have self-pity, but because it grieves God. That's why David could say in Psalm 51, after he had uh, somebody murdered and committed adultery, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Not because no one else was affected, but God is the most offended party when we sin. And we forsake sin not because of the consequences to us, because it makes our name look bad, because there's consequences to us, but because of the consequences to Christ. Jesus died because our sin was that rebellious, that tragic, that horrific, that terrible, that deserving of death, that treasonous. Jesus died because the wages of sin is death. Jesus died the death that we should have died. And forgive us our debts is a proclamation saying that we get that, that we recognize that, that we understand what Jesus paid to bring us into the family of God. It recognizes our need for his gospel daily. And the scriptures ask, if you have died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? But there's a, communal and a social implication here as well. Forgive us our debts. And I debated even, even going here a couple times, but guys, we are individually sinful. We could give an apologetic to everybody in the room of that. And therefore the communities we make up are marked by sin. are not unstained from sin. And therefore the systems that we are a part of, are not removed and unstained from sin. So we as communities uh, do not just stand as individuals and confess our sin, but as communities bring our sin before the Lord. And we as people that are a part of systems bring our sin before the Lord. And we say, forgive us of our debt. Some of us have been active participants, and some of us have been people that have merely swam in these streams, have been um, apathetic observers. I don't know what word you need to hear in this room, but we can't just pluck this out of its context of community and systems and society and put it just in our individual lives. See, when you understand the vertical forgiveness that God gives you, see, it, it, it changes and it informs the way that you give horizontal forgiveness to others. When you understand your father's forgiveness, you can extend forgiveness to your neighbor. Forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. When you know how much your father has pardoned and forgiven you, it will drive you to forgive your neighbor. It will. You cannot forgive your neighbor if you've not experienced forgiveness from your father. You can't. Grace changes you and causes you to extend it. The gospel changes your heart. And the Lord's Prayer, it, re- it forces us to rehearse the story of grace and forgiveness and mercy and adoption. You could say the Lord's Prayer forces us to walk through the story of the gospel. Jesus knows what he's doing when he says pray like this. And, and yet, before we get to verse 13, I want to go actually further down to verse 14. Because Jesus wants to drive this point home. It, it, it's the only thing that Jesus clarifies from this prayer. He doesn't clarify the Father's statement. He doesn't clarify the daily bread statement. He clarifies this statement. He's like, I'm going to repeat this just in case you missed it. Pick up in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. One, this is a hard word. And two, this is not saying your salvation is conditional. Again, if you're in Christ, your salvation is absolutely secure. Jesus himself assures us of this. And Jesus is not contradicting himself in this statement. The Scriptures make that point absolutely clear. If you're in Christ, you are secure in Christ. However, we need to live in the tension of what this is actually saying. If you're in this room you would say that you're a Christian and you're harboring unforgiveness in your hearts, you may not be a Christian. You may not. See, the Scriptures tell us that your lack of being able to forgive your neighbor may be revealing that you've never experienced forgiveness from your Father. You can't give away something you don't have. You can't give away something you don't have. See, you can sit in these seats You can sing these songs. You can do this religious ritual. And you can listen to these sermons. And tragically, you can walk away unchanged. And you can tragically walk out these doors not believing this stuff. And I just want to ask us, and and we're getting close to closing here, but we're going to sit here in a minute. And I want you to evaluate your heart. I want you to evaluate your heart. Has the gospel of forgiveness sunk in so deeply to, our, to every aspect of our being that we are compelled to forgive others of their sins against us? The gospel will change you. It's what it does. But I also want to speak to another group of people in, in the room. And some of us, like my wife, are very sensitive. In this, and it's a beautiful thing. And the Spirit impresses upon uh, conviction. And you're thinking here, oh, man. I do struggle with, with forgiveness. And, I, I mean, I want to, God, and I'm, I'm wrestling with this. And I'm praying that you would give me the ability to forgive. And I want to, and I am. But there's still some, when I see this person, they hurt me and they wounded me. And there's still some anger and some, some residual effects of that. But I'm trying, like, I want to forgive him. I want to treat him like a brother or sister. But I'm struggling. I'm likely not talking to you in the room. What, what I'm talking about is probably somebody who would say something along the lines of, yeah, I'm a Christian. But man, my neighbor, God's what coming to him. Do I forgive him? No. He's going to get what he deserves. I want him to experience the pain that he inflicted upon me. Am I praying for him? No, I'm not praying for him. That hard-hearted segregation between the vertical and the horizontal forgiveness, I think is revealing that you may have not been forgiven by the Father. Because it hasn't sunk in so deeply. I don't know, but Jesus said that. And Jesus closes the prayer with this final line. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look around this world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We long for God's kingdom to come. We long for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need restoration in our lives and we need it in our world. We need to be saved from the sin that's in us and the sin that's outside of us. We need to be protected and preserved from the sin that's inside of us and the sin that is outside of us. We say, Lord, we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, long to leave the God that we love. I don't understand my own actions. I don't do the things I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Many of us, were like, amen, that's my life. We need to be protected and preserved from the sin that's in us as well as the sin that's outside of us. And and notice the hope here. Look at that last line. But deliver us from evil. God is the one who delivers us from evil, for he is stronger. God is the one who delivers us from evil. The scriptures say, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. See, we can't hear this enough. Our God wins. He wins at the at, at the end he wins. We already see Satan sin death could not contain Jesus he rose conquering these principalities. And what we see here and what we see in the scriptures is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church wins. The kingdom of light overcomes the kingdom of darkness. And what we see on the last day is the kingdom will descend and all evil will be eradicated. Every tear will be wiped away. All things will be made right. Jesus will be on the throne. We will be his people and things will be made right. Here, here's, the, here's some good news. Our God will lead us. He will protect us. He will preserve us because he is God, our father, our heavenly father, the authoritative king of the universe, and he will keep his word. He will keep his word. He will protect his children. He will bring you home. Is that good news, church? Who said that? Is that good news, church? Yes. Amen. Amen. And this is how the prayer ends, with that ringing in our ears. Deliver us from evil. Longing for a deliverer. Longing for a savior. Longing for the kingdom to come. I don't want to circle back to where I started. Jesus is teaching us how to pray in a way that changes our lives. Jesus meant it when he said, "Pray like this." He actually meant it. Literally pray through the Lord's Prayer. I'd encourage you. This has been the number one thing that's changed my prayer life. As in praying through the Lord's Prayer, expounding on it. God, teach me how to pray. Our Father. And then you pause it. God, thank you for taking me out of the courtroom into the living room. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you that though I was a rebellious enemy of you, you adopted me in at great cost to yourself. And now you're walking through the gospel. You're walking through the story of God. Allow these truths to saturate your life. Knowing who God is as our Heavenly Father and knowing who we are as His children, it orients our desires, it shapes our hearts, it changes our lives so that we long for His will to be done and His kingdom to come. When we understand the vertical forgiveness we've been given by our Father, we give it to our neighbors. We give forgiveness as it's been given to us. See, praying like this, living like this, is how we're called to be as people of the kingdom. And the only way we can ever, ever live like this and do what Jesus is calling us to do in this hard word of the Sermon on the Mount, the only way we can do this is through intimacy with the Lord, our Father. This is where we're called to live, church. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are near, that you hear us. Right now, we are calling upon you, God. Our prayers are not hitting the ceiling. They are reaching you, Father, our heavenly Father. Lord, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you, you, you long to be in relationship with us. Thank you for doing all that was possible to bring us near. God, I pray that this prayer, Jesus, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Lord, thank you for telling us who we are, telling us who our Father is and telling us what his kingdom is like and telling us how we are called to live in that kingdom. Lord, thank you for walking us through this prayer. Thank you for giving it to us as a gift. I pray it would change our lives. I pray that we would walk out of this room changed. I pray, Spirit, that you would change our lives. As you are the one who inspired Matthew to write this, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and, and hearts to be softened so that we might live this. God, thank you. We respond to you now. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.